Apparently, 500,000 phones were iPhones were sold in the last two years. So half of that billion. Do you mean, do you like, like 500 million? Sorry, 500 M, 500 meters. 500 million. Half of the phones sold last year. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 102 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I am joined once again by Aaron Vay in Whippy, Ontario. Hello. We have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And as always, we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Which isn't actually always as usual. No, no. Don't know why I said that. Hardly ever. (laughs) Crazy talk. (laughs) All righty. How are we doing? How's everyone doing? Everyone seems to be fine. Everyone seems to be a-okay. So I went and had a burrito the other day for lunch. Would you go to Burrito Boys? Yeah. No, I went to, um, they've opened a Chipotle here. Oh, I love Chipotle. <laughs> hey, Mark, well, yeah, Mark, Mark's, la- Mark's laughing because Chipotle, but, Ch- but Chipotle was Chipotle. funny because because uh, yeah. that used to be when you went to WWDC or, or in San Francisco at two in the morning. It's one of the few places that's actually open. Mm. So hey, you know what? It looked a lot like the Chipotles you have in, in well, the one down uh, near uh, Moscone there, but uh you know, very very few selections and stuff like that, but you know, yep. same look and feel. You know, you you mock Chipotle, but I would I have a hard press to find a better burrito. Um, burrito Boys is good though. I uh, I wasn't crazy about them. I actually like Chipotle, but I wouldn't really call it an authentic burrito. Yeah, it you know kind of has the burrito form factor mm-hmm. and the same ingredients. <laughs> well, hello, what else Agreed. do you want? <laughs> so so yeah, I, I, I'm go- we're going to get into this in a minute, but I think we should follow up and ask Jaime what he thought about the uh, burrito challenge by was it uh 35 something by 38 silver i was so close i'm Don't sorry anything, what, what was the particular challenge i listened to the episode but i think i missed the nuance well it was right at the very beginning i was joking around with the ask mtjc ask aaron why he likes pizza and ask mark where the best burrito is right and uh and so mark just lit into talking about burritos in san francisco or, or in the valley anyway so i found an article yeah. by 538 the uh you know the statisticians uh, website uh, where they did a a study of of the best burrito in the whole United States. It's a kind of a tournament, you mm. know, brackets and everything, and came down to the winner being La Taqueria in San Francisco. So, Jaime, what's your what's your vote for a good burrito? You know, that's a good question. Um, I'm a little surprised it ended up in in that area. I mean, I'm kind of not surprised it would be California, but being that far north, I would have guessed. You know, it'd be more of the Southwest, like L.A., uh, parts of Texas, maybe Colorado. You can get some real good burritos. Um, yeah. It might depend on your, your style. Like, I find it being a little bit challenging here in the Seattle area, even though, you know, you can find some pretty good, decent Mexican food, including burritos. But yeah. um, the style is different. It's more of a Pacific Coast style. And growing up in Texas, I was much more into more of the like northern mexico not not coastal mexico style mm. see i don't even know i have no idea what you're talking about as far as food styles go but i, I was watching them fold up the burrito it's kind of weird the like i, I would never even thought about how you would make a burrito because you know we make fajitas up here ourselves right um which um of course it's fajitas but um oh tim don't explain I know, yourself i know so uh, just it's interesting the way they kind of grab it across the middle and fold it in half and roll it up and, and they make them really i don't know if they're are they meant to be like just giant blobs of food 
like stuffed in a in a in a tortilla. I guess it's an extra large, large size tortilla. What do you think? I think yeah, I think absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the whole yeah. point. It's it's the melange that makes it what it is. Yeah. So well, so at the at the Chipotle place, they just kind of spoon stuff in, and and by the way, they charge like two bucks, two fifty for uh, guacamole. Uh, which... Guacamole is a killer. Uh, but the two burrito experiences I have here in Toronto is a place called on Queen Street called Tortilla Flats. They used to have a burrito where they would basically make a burrito and then they would put cheese over top and throw it in the oven for a minute and melt it on top. And it was just all a good, great big gooey mess. And it was really pretty good. Mm-hmm. But my first Mexican food, and Aaron will, will laugh at the end of this part, but the um, used to be place, the first place I ever knew was back in the 70s. It was a place called Taco Bandito. And it was the only Mexican place ever. Like It's taken a long time for cultural food to, to sort of find their way into, into availability up here in the Great White North. But um, the one thing that was funny about this particular restaurant is the guy would take Canadian tire money at face value. Why not? I mean, that's, yeah. it's legit. And so when so when he closed down the store, my friends, one of my friends said we must have got his car fixed. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean, Canadian Tire money? Well, we have we have we have a, a store here called Canadian Tire where they they actually give you uh, I think it's like five percent back if you, pay, if you pay yeah. ca- if you pay cash, but they have their own tender. Huh. Like it's actual actual Canadian Tire money, and it's it's legal. Actually, I used it in a in one of our. Uh, the episode called Dump Trucks Full of Money. If you look at that closely, the, the bills that are spilling out of the truck are actually Canadian Tire Money. We have a whole wad of it here in one of our kitchen drawers. So just, that just ends up in your drawer, right? So Yeah, we have a drawer literally stuffed with this stuff. And um, I always loved that it had a Scotsman on it. I don't get that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I just put a link there and add it to the show notes, Tim. Sure. <laughs> um, and it's real money. Like you, you can trade it in for, you know, actual goods and services well, at face value so yeah that being said they've now they now have an app because they you know of course the time seeing what they are they're, they're starting to phase out canadian tire money and now they're giving us canadian tire money in terms of loyalty points on and we have to use our our app to scan the barcode and so it's moving into the uh what are we 20 percent mm-hmm. something like yeah. that yeah, so might be the twenty second. I can't keep track. Okay, <laughs> so I think there's a there's an opportunity for you guys to make a real new trendy regional thing called the uh, the maple burrito. The maple burrito. Yeah, okay. put some maple syrup in there. No, we'll make it with poutine. What are you crazy? Yeah, t- remind me what poutine is again. <laughs> it's Dude, uh, potato dudes. chips uh, or like uh, French, French fries, gravy and cheese curds. Come on, Tim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No Lord. potato chips. I like. I, I mean chips like in in the British sense of chips. Where you just chop up a potato. Mm. Right. Fry it up. Okay. Interesting. Anywho. Were we on a topic here? Well, we were talking. This is Mark, uh, Jaime's attempt to be... Uh, Jaime's follow-up on the burrito story from last week. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going I'm to draw out his first computer out of him in a few minutes. So remind me what the specific was. First computer ever used or first one ever owned? Well, yeah. It was, was, it the... was a question from Alan Edmonds, I believe, um, in Ask MTJC last week. Or actually two weeks ago from our, for our 100th episode, but we missed it. Um, was what, is our, what was our first computer that we ever used? So and we all sort of talked about our first work computers and our first personal computers. Yeah, let's see. Uh, double answer. So, first computer I can remember using was almost certainly uh, my uncle's computer. Um, he was really into it. I remember it being some sort of green screen computer and playing Load Runner and That's some classic. sort of flight simulator that would just, you know, it wasn't, it was like a frame every two seconds, kind of, <laughs> <laughs> instead of 60 buttery smooth frame per second, it was like yeah, a frame yeah. for every two seconds. 
Uh, as far as the ones that I personally had that for myself, that would be a Compact Presario with an Intel Pentium processor, 233 megahertz, 32 megabytes of RAM, and an wow. unfillable, at the time, 6 gigabyte hard drive. Wow. Whoa. That was yeah. a Cadillac. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. <laughs> when was that? Time. This would have been 96, 96 97-ish. Yeah. Maybe you 98. Came, you came late to the computering world. Yeah, pretty much. In terms of owning one, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. would have been uh, in high school at that point. Man. Funny. Hmm. Um, yeah, when I answered last week about my Mac Classic being my first computer, that wasn't the first computer I used, of course. It was the first one I owned. Just wanted to make that distinction, lest anyone thought I was waiting until 92 to start computering. <laughs> mm-hmm. Computering long before that. Um, all right. Uh, we didn't really get... Uh, do we have any follow-up? Uh, well, that, just that. Well, there's a few there's a few articles that qualify as follow-up. I don't know if I necessarily mark them as follow-up, but... Um, okay. So, let's uh, wander over to the notes. Do you, do you see anything here that actually is follow-up? Well, uh, there's there's uh, there was a late piece came in on the iPhone 7 having a 3D touch home button instead of a physical button. And another article about uh, the, the MacBook, Air. Uh, Mac, MacBook Air might be getting a USB-C port. Right, 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 right. And this, that's follow-up. Let's let's tackle that one first, because the sure. MacBook Air, a rumor about that one coming out with uh, a USB-C port so that it isn't left completely behind as right. Apple marches forward, um, would, is noteworthy in relation to last week's show, because we, maybe I, uh, proposed that there would not be another MacBook Air. I think deceased was the word. Dead. A zombie product. That sounds like something I would say. Pining for the fjords, yes. No, no, no. Zombies don't. They've pined for brains. No, carrots pine for the fjords. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, no. Um, This, I don't know if this is true or not. I I still think that the MacBook Air is a dead product. Um, I I guess that Apple might come out with a new one in September. It does seem increasingly likely. And I think we mentioned this when we talked about uh, this last week that Apple is going to have an event in September where we're going to see a lot of new hardware, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure, I guess it's possible that they'll they'll maybe do a little cosmetic speed bump on the MacBook Air. Um, but I think we can all recognize that it, it is a dead product, right? Like, you, you know that, right, Tim? It's dead. Yeah, dead, well, dead, yeah. dead, mm-hmm. dead. From Deadville. Yeah. Yeah, so... I don't know. It, this this there's little more that I would expect than something is. Although you come to think of it, the USB C port is something that um, you, you don't just throw a USB C port in. It's it's not just that that makes uh, makes it a refresh computer. Like it's actually part of the chipset, right? Like Intel chips, uh, certain chipsets that include oh, USB C right. support, right? Hmm. So yeah, yeah. it does kind of imply a much more modern architecture if it supports USB-C, right? So uh, maybe it's maybe it's the MacBook guts inside of the MacBook Air if this happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That little little logic board that you're, you're sporting in yours, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I just kind of, my, my tongue firmly planted in cheek, I kind of thought this is just their way of annoying all the MacBook Air users by, you know, having us, you know, lose the ability to use all our peripherals that we use now, right? So, right, right. I mean, I, I, I'm always got, you know, a couple of uh, USB things plugged in, and I've always got my display port plugged into the, in fact, this has a display port adapter. No, I guess it's a Thunderbolt adapter on my model here, but uh, yeah, yeah. 
But we have two MacBook Airs. In fact, we're recording with two of them right now. So Madness. It does seem to me that they're... I, I can't see the Air going away anytime soon because I don't think they're ready with the MacBook 12-inch or or that that line. Yeah, to come to down in place. Yeah, exactly. part of the reason they said, yeah. 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 So um, as a stopgap, I mean, they probably have to do something, and this is probably it. To be frank, you know, uh, this rumor aside, if I could just set this rumor aside, my guess would be that they would just um, uh, refresh the, the internals a little bit. Uh, to bring them, make them a little more current, and then ship them like that as is. And so, essentially, having the MacBook Air be in maintenance mode, I, I would be very surprised. I think if this rumor were true, that they they did sort of an architecture change in the guts and changed the ports. That doesn't strike me as being as likely. Well, I mean, and then if they do do a, I, I think it's kind of a relatively minor upgrade where they really go through the effort of of doing a putting it even as part of a talk, like a, a part of a show, like a. You know, if they're going to roll out new phones and things like that. Oh, you're thinking um, of the keynote now or whatever? Yeah, like would the they, they even bother having an event or would they just do a marketing announcement like they do with, with speed bump uh, yeah. updates? Well, in the past, Apple's done like two events in the fall. Uh, I think uh, a couple yeah. years ago, they, they had two events and it was like uh, the Mac event and then an iOS event. I'm remembering that right. Well, was they it? had they had the watch event in, in October. That was last year, right? Yeah, a couple of years ago, yeah. Was yeah. that two years ago? Well, yeah. It must have last, been, right? Yeah, because the, the watch came out in April. It, came, it was announced in October-ish. Right, so. Maybe it was three years ago, I'm thinking. Yeah. Or they had two events. And, like, suffice to say, they, they are not um, totally averse to having multiple events in the fall. And given the amount of hardware that is pending, we'll just say pending, right? You know, like, so we're looking at new Macs, uh, new new iPhones for sure, maybe new iPads, and a new watch, which we're also hearing about. I don't know if we have that link in the show notes uh, or in our uh-huh. notes, but I don't know. Uh, I saw a talk of a watch update happening this fall, too. I really don't give a ton of credence to rumors, you know, rumors at all. So when I see links to rumors or rumor articles, I just kind of go, hmm, okay. And then I breeze past them because, you know, they're interesting for what if. But uh, they tend not to be terribly accurate, unless yeah. they come from uh, what's his face, uh, who Mark, uh, not you, Mark, different Mark. Yeah, you know, I just German that... Mark German. Thank you. Right, right. That guy. Bottom line, I don't believe the iPad Air or sorry MacBook Air is is actually going to get this kind of refresh. I guess I could see it as a stopgap year with the need to have some sort of cheap element out there and, and we speculate on well maybe the previous year's macbook could be um at entry level point but if they can't get the economics to work i could see a kind of a chintzy yeah just throw out something it's got you know slightly updated specs and a slightly updated port and and next year we can separate things out and have the the much more clear model distinctions i don't know yeah yeah that's kind of where i'm coming from too but when when you say USB-C port being added to it, my my head goes to, wait, like, if you do that, then you're kind of looking at sort of a big internal change to support it, right? That's what I'm wondering about. So if, if it is, in fact, true that uh, adding USB-C um, is a whole new chipset, and I think it is, then uh, then there's a lot more engineering that has to go into the thing before they can ship it out. Whereas if they take the existing motherboard design and plop a new intel cpu on it that's a lot simpler and seems more likely for the airline right 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 i think sure okay
BuddyBuild is a mobile-optimized, continuous integration and delivery platform that just takes minutes to set up. Thousands of mobile development teams love BuddyBuild because it's the fastest way to distribute their apps to users and gather bug reports, feedback, and crash reports. Then, use built-in integrations for bug trackers and tools like Slack to seamlessly integrate that information back into their development process. With a simple screenshot, testers can send their feedback directly to you along with important diagnostic details. If your app ever crashes, that's never happened, BuddyBuild will record the frequency affected users and traces back to the exact lines of source code that caused the crash in the first place. BuddyBuild gives you even better visibility into crashes with Instant Replay, a video recording that shows exactly what your users were doing when the app crashed, giving you the exact steps needed to repro the issue. BuddyBuild gives development teams like yours perfect insight into bugs and empowers you to iterate on your app faster than ever knowing you're building an app that your users love. Join the thousands of developers who've already added BuddyBuild to their development process. Try it free today. BuddyBuild.com um, Well, so I was going to talk a bit. We could talk a bit about, about the Mac, and we talked a bit about the Mac and the hardware, and, and where is it? That was the whole point of our show last week, and um, there's a couple of pieces here posted about one. You posted one about the... Um, iPad Paradox, and, and I also found uh, a couple of announcements based on the third quarter results, I guess, which just got announced on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, Jason Snell of SixColors.com talked a bit about that, and, and there was some, some surprising rise in the end of uh, iPad sales, so we can talk about that. But also, they, he also does cover uh, a point about how the Mac itself seems to be just rotting on the vine, like nothing's really happening with it. Yeah, well, we sure covered that last week. Yeah. Uh, but no, you know, no reason not to continue talking about it. Um, the iPad Paradox article, which is in the show notes, uh, is from Michael Gartenberg, well-regarded uh, former working for Apple analyst, uh, but a longtime journalist, now working for iMore, has this piece talking about his theory on why the iPad isn't as successful as it really ought to be. And his perspective is, is someone who's using an iPad Pro, loves it, sees it as the future of computing, runs into people all the time who are skeptical about the future of the iPad, but then who see him using it and are converted. So he's wondering why Apple isn't doing what he's doing in converting people to the idea of using an iPad as their main computer. And his takeaway, really, is that Apple needs to be doing more teaching and um, sort of bemoaning the lack of advertising around iPad. You know, there was a period probably a year or two, maybe longer ago, where Apple was doing a lot lot more advertising for iPad, but they seem to have slackened off on it. Um, Is that your impression as well? Because that's kind of my impression. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's also thinking about the thing that we complained about, I think a year ago or two versions ago, where you know there was there was a dearth of choices, and it just and I think Tammy was on the show and sort of explained it was really hard to tell people which iPad to get. I think that might have been part of the the marketing problem or the or the selling people selling people to getting people to choose a, an iPad or not. I think it was better when they had a smaller um, selection to choose from, right? I think yeah. they have like one low end model now. One, and then the iPad Air 2, and then they've got the two Pro models now, if I'm not mistaken. You right? are not so, mistaken. There's um, a ton of iPads to choose from, and it's very difficult because uh, uh, it's it's difficult to distinguish what these things have that separate them, I guess. That's right. very I, I like his analogy of the TiVo paradox. We didn't have, I don't think yeah. we ever had TiVo up here in Canada, but 
TiVo kind of was the leader in that sort of PVR type of technology, much, I guess, like Beta was back in the or VCR days. Those that had it loved it. That was the whole point. Yeah, you yeah. Know? They, it just sort of did stuff. It just worked, I guess, was, right. was a way to say it, right? But uh, and, and kind of sort of saying that the, the iPad is that similar kind of tool where there you know there's there's surfaces now and there's android tablets and they've all sort of they've sort of come in and and you know worked under the halo of the ipad but um yeah it's and as like i said before if if the ipad could just do just a eensy weensy bit more than it does now it could totally be my my primary computer right exactly you know and but even at that um I think the iPad can do enough that it can take over as many people's primary computer. The knowledge about that isn't out there, isn't broadly understood at this point. Um, And this actually reminds me of back in the day, you know, when it was Windows versus Mac, and all of us Mac users knowing in our heart of hearts that the Mac was the far better computer. Yeah, but but they cost so much, Aaron. Yeah, and, and, you know, they they weren't that much better. We got Windows 95 now. And And they're not serious business computers. Oh, yeah, classic one. Uh, You know, you had every reason, you know, that people wanted to bring the Mac down, and they just didn't get it. Uh, And they never, of course, could give it a chance. And it's sort of that way, too, now with the iPad. Of course, this ties right into the uh, Q3 results that we got this week. Exactly. um, Because it shows, actually, what it's showing is um, a continuing decline in growth and revenue. But uh, for the iPad, actually, not too bad. You know, if you look at the the trends, uh, iPad kind of held its own and maybe even uh, went up a little bit. I'm trying yeah, to find there's, that there's a average price, average selling price. Or the right. ASP went up thanks yeah. to the, the iPad Pro. Yeah. iPad Pro, of course, because the you know the average cost of an iPad is is higher than it was. But um, here, for more important, uh, the year over year sales growth uh, is still negative, but it is less negative than it was uh, in the previous yeah. quarters. Yes, <laughs> uh, same with revenue growth. Doubles, actually, yeah. revenue growth is actually above uh, zero, so that's very encouraging. Um, and iPad revenue is up from last quarter and not as, you know, not up from the year ago quarter, but, uh, uh, there seems to be, if, if not, uh, a recovery, an improvement in the situation, that's all. Uh, but still it's fair to say that the iPad is not, is not doing as well as, as those of us who love the iPad feel it ought to do. And so that's kind of the point. What do, what do Mark and Jaime think about it? Well, I think that Apple... Looking at it from a business point of view, the margin on a Mac is certainly a lot higher than the margin on, a, on an iPad Pro, let's say. So it's not necessarily in Apple's best interest, as long as the demand is there, to push someone from a Mac into an iPad Pro. So why would they do that? They make more money on, on, a, on a Mac. And, and if you think back, I think the, the real reason there is an iPad Pro uh, was as an answer to the to the Surface, right, Microsoft Surface, and as I understand it, it's outperforming the Surface, so it's doing well enough without eating into Apple's margins, so from Apple's point of view, that's a pretty good situation, right? Yeah, where does the Surface stand right now? I thought, isn't there some change coming in it, or, Tommy, do you know? With regards to the Surface, uh, what's the latest and greatest? The Surface Pro 4 and unclear if there will be a successor to the surface 3 the one that runs rt what's the difference i don't think rt exists anymore what's rt the rt was the uh non 
non-compatible, so non-Win32 platform. The ARM Windows. It, yeah, oh, the ARM okay. Windows is a good way of putting it. So it's like the equivalent of uh, iOS compared to macOS is probably the biggest. Oh, so the 4 is closer to an actual Windows running on a PC? No, I mean, it, it is a, a full PC that also has, you know, touch-enable uh, pieces. Right. I, I think Mark is probably spot on with that and that, you know, the Surface Pro 4 has been, you know, you know, relatively speaking, a pretty good um, line for Microsoft, but definitely not um, not selling as well as, as iPad in general. And if something like an iPad Pro, which took some amount of engineering, but it wasn't like they completely rethought the entire device. So it's relatively cheap design upgrade from their standpoint. Like, it seems like that would make sense, right? Because they clearly didn't add a whole lot to iOS for it. And, and, and the and coming back to this article, it's sort of weird that it ends with, oh, and, and iOS 10 makes the iPad you know, even more so. It's like, really? What 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 did they do in iOS 10 other than Swift <laughs> Playgrounds? It's like literally the only thing they did, Like, right? We, we were complaining about the fact that there was nothing uh, specific to iPad. Yeah, that uh, does seem kind of a red herring. The uh, But iOS 9 did plenty. Now, I, of course, we want to see more, but you know, we've, we already have enough that I think, like I said, I think a lot of people could, could use an iPad credibly to replace their Macs. Yeah, yeah, it definitely depends on what what your needs are. Like if you're if you're requiring very specialized needs, like you're a developer or you're doing heavy text entry, like you're a writer, you know, you're doing a lot of audio and video processing, like it's probably not for you, but if your needs are you know, I need something that's not necessarily a computer. I need something to look at photos, I want to watch videos, I might want to create some light videos, you know, like taking snapshots uh, or taking home video type stuff, that level of what you would have had several different devices for, it definitely meets that need, right? It, it does email, it does browsing, it does Twitter, it does Facebook, it does all those things really, in most respects, way better than a even a, like a MacBook Air because you can just plop down in a hammock, you can yeah. be completely yeah. upside down, you can be at a coffee shop and you do all sorts of things that you couldn't do with even a very, very light and capable device like a MacBook Air. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, as you know, I, I'm a big time user of my iPad Pro. And, and, you know, this weekend I was up at a cottage and unfortunately without internet, but still able to do a lot of things that I would normally do uh, on the iPad Pro. Like, like you know, um, I update the podcast notes, you know, I, I do all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, I do some WordPress editing. I, I was actually looking at using Transmit this week to do some FTP stuff that I need to get done. You know, so there's a lot of tools that are available on the iPad that uh, that make it a worthwhile thing, and and the you know the size that in the case of the, the uh, iPad Pro 12.9, it's the screen is virtually as big as my as my uh, MacBook Air without without the sort of clutter of having to you know open up the clamshell and then you got you lose so much more space. And one thing that I noticed, I should I, I've never really mentioned this before, but you know I have a, a high definition television across the room for me here. But if I have my iPad sitting on my lap using TMN Go, which is our HBO Go, if you will, um, or Netflix on my on my iPad Pro with the quadraphonic sound, the screen, you know, proportionally is bigger than my TV across the room, you know, and it's that high res retina display. So it's great for watching movies and stuff like that as well, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. If it's only you watching, of course. Well, no, I'd, I've I've watched it with other people. We just sort of pop prop it up on the with the the cover and sit there and watch it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a really nice device to have to you know be sort of your as Jaime said before you're sitting on the TV watching a movie and you've got the IMDb database and uh, just you know chilling with the uh, reading books is good on it too. Like I you know have a lot of uh, 
I use my I have a Kindle app installed on there and I read some books on there as well as, you know, iBooks. So but that's that from- that's what I mainly use my my uh nine point seven inch iPad for. Uh, is it really good for for you? Uh, is the bigger one really good for reading books? It seems like it would be kind of big and bulky for that. It is kind of bulky, but you know, it's funny that when when I first pull it out and people kind of go, "Wow, that's a big iPad," you know. Yeah. Uh, but after a while, you know, when you when you're working with it, it's it's awkward if you're in a confined space like a like a streetcar or a bus or something like that. But or I would think an airplane. But um, uh, otherwise, um, yeah, no, you know, you, you kind of get used to the size. And then, of course, you know, if you're doing things like sketching or whatever, then, yeah, it's almost too small sometimes in terms of how much space you have on it, right? But, uh, yeah, no, it's it's good for, it's it's a good, it, I, I think the 9.7 is probably the ideal size in, in retrospect, but... Yeah, I think uh, it, it's you get used to it real quick in terms of how big how big the screen is and how how he- it's actually not pretty heavy surprisingly, you know. I find yeah. the the twelve point nine inch iPad Pro super compelling. Like I think about it a lot, like a disturbing amount of time I spend thinking about the <laughs> iPad Pro twelve point nine um, because it is uh, its size. I think makes it a super unique product. There's like it doesn't. It's not the same as a nine point seven inch iPad. It, it it fulfills different use cases because of that size difference, I think. Yeah, and I can see how the lure, compared to, comparing it to the Surface, because, of course, you know, I, I do have a 13-year-old grandson who's now discovered that he could actually put together his own PC if he really wanted to, um, which, uh, you know, just gives me sh- chills, you know, but... Um, Good chill. Yeah, so, so we, so we do, we do visit that other store every now and then, the one with the, you know, the, the knockoff tables with the knockoff products, um, and we look at the Surface and we look at the other, you know, so-called laptops there, um, and yes. so I've seen the Surface a few times, and it, it, it's kind of interesting, you know. Actually, the most compelling thing I've ever seen. I, I don't know if you guys have seen these, but Lenovo makes a PC on a stick. Like it's like it's it's like really? a little car. it's yeah it's like I just pictured like a, a tree branch with a chip attached to it yeah is that, you is know, that it, what might that is? As, it might as well <laughs> yeah. I picture something deep fried at the end of a stick <laughs> well do you know do you know how uh, do you know how you know how big the memory uh, the 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 hard drivers or the SSD drivers in a, in a MacBook uh, Pro like it's just it's about maybe, maybe an inch and a half wide and maybe three or four inches long it's about that big right. And it fits in the USB slot, and it's got an HDMI on the side. And it's got—I don't know—it's got like 128 um, uh, gig of space on it. It's, and it's a full Windows PC on a stick. Maybe you're on. Yeah, a I think stick I've seen—I don't know if it was the particular one, but I've seen something like that where it's about the size of um, like those TV streaming sticks, like the Roku yeah, stick yeah. or the Amazon Fire stick. Exactly. Yeah, similar, similar idea. I, I, I think it's probably a very hobbled PC, but still. I've just pasted it into the show notes. Oh, thank you. Or into the Skype. My apologies. Skype notes. Well, same thing. It makes its way into the show notes for those of us driving at home. So that's that's good. There we'll you go. The same. Our apologies. This is Lenovo product is no longer available. What? That's not good. I saw one at the uh, microwave 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 store. Yeah, so let's just call it that. I don't need to say by its real name. Microshaft. How much is this thing? <laughs> so it plugs into bucks. the it plugs into the HDMI port, and you can get a wireless or Bluetooth keyboard thing to go with it. Yeah, the only problem, of course, is that it runs Windows. Yeah, that's the only burn problem. it to the ground. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's what the MacBook Air is going to come out as, right? No, <laughs> they ought to though. This is interesting. At, at one time, I, I don't necessarily believe this anymore, but at one time, I had a theory that the future of of computing, say for the office, uh, for example, would be there'd be a bunch of big monitors just sitting around with no computers attached to them, and you would have your phone 
which would be yeah. way more powerful than a phone today and, and probably more right. powerful than a than a desktop today. You would just walk up to any computer and and connect to it wirelessly somehow, and that would be your computer. Well, who's the Oracle guy back in the day? Um, You're thinking of Think Clients and Larry Ellison. Larry Ellison, yeah, yeah. The idea that you you would like, and this is that goes back to the you know the baby thirty sixes and stuff like that, where you'd have a big box in the corner and everybody had a dumb terminal, right? I think they right. were trying to bring that idea back. And I mean, Apple tried that with you know Netboot and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, right? in fact, I actually used those once at some company somewhere where you just had a card and you would walk around to a, you know to a to a dumb terminal and stick your card into a slot, and your desktop would pop up. So everything was in the well, not in the cloud, but in their you know their their local cloud there. So yeah. so uh, it didn't matter which workstation you sat at; it was all you know, all your information was on this card. Once yeah. you plugged it in, it would just bring it up wherever you left it last. It's kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, well, the ThinkPads we have at the office are like that now. That you have like a, there's a piece of software that syncs to your syncs your desktop to their server somewhere out there in the exchange world, right? Exchange cloud, and um, you basically log on to any PC, and all your favorites are there, and all the documents you saved are, are all there, and it's same sort of idea. And in fact, I think one day we were, I tried, I fired up uh, Microsoft Word or something, and it seemed to open over the network as opposed to opening from the local disk, which I thought was very strange. Mm. Now, was that actually a VNC into some big server, or was it? No, it's it's well, it's it's an exchange. It's it's a, it's a a proper mobile client. I mean, I can bring it home and fire it up, and I'm not on the network, but I still have access to all my software and stuff like that. Okay. But uh, and then I can VPN into the office and stuff. But do you, um, I just pasted a link into the Skype uh, about Windows Phone Continuum, which brings your dream to life, mm, Mark. Yeah. This is what you were talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, this is kind of what I was talking about. Interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah we talked about this uh, when it came six, out. We did. Yeah. Oh, okay. I must not have been yeah. in that one. There's so many things that happen, Mark. You can be forgiven. Thank you. <laughs> I forgive you. So, yeah, right. this is available for uh, two particular Windows Phone models, the Lumia 950 XL and the 950, which is really, they, they've crammed a bunch of stuff in there. But uh, as we know nowadays, uh, Microsoft is, for the most part, it seems, given up on Windows Phone. Oh, have they really? Yeah, they've. I, I've, I've read it elsewhere. Uh, I, I thought they officially they say that killed it, actually, didn't they? Yeah, well, this page is still alive. Um, yeah. So I don't think it's officially dead, but there's definitely the sense that they are focusing on other things. Let's put it that way. Hmm. Which is too bad because, you know, I certainly get the appeal of this idea, right? It makes perfect sense that you, you've got computering on you carried in your pocket that is becoming increasingly powerful I and mean, certainly powerful enough to do any kind of standard productivity stuff, right? Like that, the stuff that Microsoft excels at. Oh, yeah. pun intended. <laughs> that was Sorry. a product, wasn't it? Um, it <laughs> originally, yeah, yeah, initially. yeah. So, um, but I mean, the whole idea of you know, I do a lot of um, because I'm commuting now, and, and I've always sort of kept a lot of files. Like, I, you know, I I use the Google Docs document that we talked about for our show, and I sometimes I'll edit it from the phone, I'll edit it from my iPad, I'll edit it from a Mac if I have one handy. Yeah, and this is all Apple's to answer to this, yeah, so, this problem. Yeah, so to that to that effect, I don't see why an iOS device couldn't be like Mark said. You just plug in the whatever port they have at the bottom of the thing and, and you know, plug it into a keyboard and a mouse and, and off you go, right? So, like, why couldn't it have some sort of kernel that would operate as a, as a desktop machine? 
Yeah, that's that might be what the final convergence of the Mac and iOS looks like. Right. You know, a mode that allows you to keyboard and mouse with iOS and plug it into a larger display. You know, I don't I don't see the Mac going away until iOS has this ability to use larger displays. A little bit of word still on the okay, Q3 yeah, sure. uh, results that Apple did. So we talked about it in the context of iPad, but I think the much more important story is the iPhone, of course, because that's where all the money comes from. It is the money crapper, as mm-hmm. it were, <laughs> to, to put it crudely. And I think the pattern that we're seeing now is becoming clearer about explaining the decline in iPhone sales, because I don't actually believe that it is a decline per se. Uh, technically it is, but as as the quarters are going to continue to pile up here, I think what we're going to continue to see is 2015 being an outlier. Then, And if you continue to draw a line up and to the right uh, in this chart of iPhone revenues, I think you'll find that 2015 looks like a bump in that rather steady-looking upward-rising trend. So that's why 2016 sales are lower than 2015, because it was... By any definition, an incredibly successful blockbuster year for Apple. And it's so, so big and so successful that it is warping this year's sales by making them, making the situation look worse than it is. Um, There was a whole lot of of constrained demand that got met when the iPhone 6 came out. And, um, and we're just coming down from that now. Uh, I don't. I don't see iPhone sales as being a long-term problem for Apple um, so much as uh, as just coming back down to the regular growth patterns that they were experiencing before. Well, the big question marks I think are China and India. Uh, China sales are down uh, with the reason given that uh, there's there's a, a growing amount of competition from local Chinese vendors making competitors to the iPhone. And, and the iPhone is not so much the aspirational brand there that it, that it was. So if that market continues to slip, that's actually a pretty big deal for Apple in terms of growth. Uh, not necessarily in terms of, of net sales, but in terms of growth, for sure. Uh, and, and, the, and the big question is, can India pick up some of that slack and continue the growth? That's an interesting question. Yeah, we don't know the not likely, to. though. Well, I don't see not? India being a why big not? well because I don't think country's ready for it yet. I mean, we talked about this before too, that um, the uh, the economic situation in India doesn't seem to be quite to the point where China was when it became a large contributing factor to Apple sales. Yeah, that's true. I was just speaking with an Indian uh, colleague of mine, and he was telling me about the cost of phones in rupees in India is just astronomical. Like. An iPhone, for instance. So he was telling me something, something to the fact that he buys them here and sends them home, right? Kind of thing. From from the point of view of what a person makes in a week versus what they can afford to pay for a phone, I think that's where the the scale just doesn't match. Yeah, well, it's very bimodal, right? There's there's some percentage of the population that's relatively quite wealthy, and and a much larger percentage that's still you know poor or destitute even. So. So uh, right. it's 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 a yeah it's a, it becomes a question of where does that line lie yeah. where where the afford what, what's the affordability of these right. phones yeah yep. and I think we're not quite there yet well I think we're still right away. but but that can change of course well that was what the idea um, behind a low cost phone the, was too right so it's sort of that's right, those yeah. needs, right 
Sorry, Aaron. And and the and the SE has been doing better than than people expected. Apparently, I'm not necessarily in India. I don't think that was broken out, but but overall sales of the SE were were actually pretty decent. Yeah, as I understand. Yeah, like they they were having they were surprised by the the result of that, and they are just now sort of catching up on the inventory they need to sell. Mm-hmm. So, and as usual, Apple's selling pretty much every phone they make, right? Right. Um, the thing that I found most interesting about this earnings report, given given that it's a seasonally low quarter, right? So you don't expect hardware sales to be that high, given that there's new models. Everyone knows there's new models coming out in the fall and holiday season and all that. So so the summer is always kind of a low point, but so you kind of expect all those, uh, everything we've said to some degree. But the interesting thing for me was Apple Pay. Apple Pay has been growing by yeah, quite crazy. a bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm hoping that we're we're seeing the you know approaching the the turning point in the hockey stick for Apple Pay, right? Where it where it's Start to turn up and builds enough momentum that it really starts to get some explosive growth. I think that yeah. Would I think great. I posted an article here that the sort of link doing it from my phone, so the link didn't come through properly. But um, the Apple Pay has grown four hundred percent in twenty sixteen. You know, phenomenal. And 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 we've all speculated that Apple must get a, a piece of each, each each transaction, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So they said what uh, estimated ten point nine billion in transactions is just uh, just Apple's part of it. Uh, Apple Pay transactions counter for estimated. No, that would be the. I think that would be total, the total sales. Tr- right. Total sales, yeah, and they get some percentage of that. So, so in you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, for Apple, it's probably not a huge number yet. But the important thing is that it's growing. Yeah, and what's the other thing too is, and going back to Jason Snell's uh, report on he at the very end of it, he talks about services and how we all sort of looked at thought. I mean, we didn't think services was going to be a bad thing for Apple to be getting into, but apparently it's been growing steadily, um, you know, in terms of, I guess, uh, iCloud storage and other services at Apple's, uh, I, I, Apple Music, and what else are they charging us for these days? Yeah, that sounds yeah. like most of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely steady, steady growth, right? And I'm guessing that Apple Pay is part of this Possibly, yeah. as well. Yeah, it would have to be, right? So... Um, Definitely up and to the right. Um, you know, but the thing with Apple Pay going up by 400%, uh, there's really nowhere to go but up for Apple Pay, right? Because, like, the rollout is continuing. And so, like the early days of the iPhone, which, you know, largely uh, grew so quickly because um, they were opening it with new carriers in new countries, right? So uh, having sudden access to large swaths of the market are, makes it, you know, that's what's responsible for those growth numbers. And same thing with Apple Pay, as it becomes available in different countries, and you've been seeing the news about rollouts, not just in Canada, but uh, in Europe and, and elsewhere, uh, those are new customers that can come online and start using it. But it is good to see, I think, this 400% increase tells us that uh, people aren't just trying it and not using yeah, it there's, anymore. Yeah, there's right? demand there. I mean, it it, it yeah. could have flopped, right? They could have rolled it out to all these places and got nothing out of it. Uh, right. That certainly was possible, and, and it didn't happen. So I think that's a good sign. Yeah, and it, it is, I must have to say, it has, it's awfully easy to use. I've been, you know, even though I have cash in my pocket, I tend to double-click the button on my my watch to uh, to get it active, activated. And mm-hmm. um, 
about a week ago, I was having an issue between my a Bluetooth issue between my phone and my watch. They weren't talking to each other, but I was still able to you know double tap the home button on the on the phone and pay for things too. So it is it is quite yeah. easy, like you said before. It's it's yeah. just like yeah. you just whip it out, and you're done. You know, so yeah, yeah. I'm at the point where I will always use Apple Pay if it's available, and if I find out after I've paid for something with cash that Apple Pay was yeah. available, I'm kind of yeah. annoyed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait until I get the chance. Oh, you're to use still. It. Oh, you're still. <laughs> yeah, I'm in this uh, very narrow window where I'm not able to be served by Apple Pay. Not one of the cool. It's very annoying. So. No, I'm not. Plus, you get uh, you get rewards. Whatever your rewards your credit card has, yeah. right? You get frequent flyer miles or whatever it is that you have. Okay, so Mark posted the other thing I was going to point uh, talk about was just the uh, one bi- one billion phone. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, not too much to say about that. It doesn't really mean anything, but it's just kind of a nice milestone. Yeah. Yeah. Is this picture from an employee event? Oh, it holds huh. the one billion phone sold. Huh. One billion phone. Wait, how does he yeah, have it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he bought it. Yeah, maybe. He, he reached into his pocket. To get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. That's a good question. This must be an Apple employee event of some kind. I think I see other executives mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. picture. <laughs> I'm unclear as to who you're looking at. The new like operations the, guy. Yeah, okay, look guy on the in. right in that photograph. Yeah. Third yeah, face right. that guy. from the right. Yeah, that's the that's the, the guy that took Tim's yeah. job. Old job. Jeff Williams. I've already got that. Jeff Williams. Anyway, hurry for Apple. That's a that's a lot of iPhones. Is that is yeah, that's that a lot, is of a lot of iPhones, iPhones. right? Wait, 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 wait. Is that an imperial mm-hmm. billion or an American billion? Probably it has to be an American billion. That would be <laughs> well. They got a long way to go before they get number. an imperial billion. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, so um, no other company has any company sold a billion of anything. Oh, really? Good well, question. McDonald's. I mean, sure, oh. a billion hamburgers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 Uh, yeah. We, we've had a billion the, listeners the most, to our podcast. The most common uh, thing on the planet, man-made thing on the planet, is, is the DRAM. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but like that's that's different from I'm sure the McDonald's we sold and the Apple billion cars. There's sure no one company cars sold by some companies. You, no, by, no way. Really? No, really? Never. Really? Not even close. No way. No way. I'm pretty sure Samsung has probably sold a billion, a billion Androids yeah. over and over again. They're, they're, yeah. It's an yeah. enormous Nokia, number of Nokia. phones that they have at like El Cheapo prices and, and yeah. high end prices and everything in between. But it's yeah. still a really nice milestone. Nobody yeah, yeah, is yeah, peeing yeah. on it, yeah. you know. It's still really nice. Oh, it's a gold I'm super star. curious about that now. Ask, though. Like, uh, ask who Alexa. Has sold? <laughs> who? I'm in Canada. There's no such thing. Yeah. Ask Wolf from Alpha. No, I'd love. To, I'd love to find that out. If any, if any of our listeners uh, know of any reference for uh, companies no, wait that have sold, Heidi's got Alexa sitting right there on his desk. Alexa's no, it, it's, it's actually those. in the living room, so it's actually quite a distance from me. Okay, so yell. <laughs> no, it's not going to work. She's not going to have the answer okay. to that. I just, uh, but I'm I'm very curious to know because that's that's pretty wild. I think McDonald's. Yes. Okay, I can you know billions and billions of burgers sold. Um, they don't even talk about it anymore. But what else? Yeah. Starbucks, heck, even oh, Tim yeah, Hortons sure might have sold it's like a billion, a billion like cups of coffee. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you know what? Forget retail. Like <laughs> I don't know. Well, forget, then forget about forget the iPhones. Products. iPhones retail. No, no. Forget. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. 
this is different. There's something different about this. This is a huge product. Like, it's, oh, you mean it's, it's price a very from expensive a price point, point of view? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sure. Okay. It's amazing that you, that McDonald's sold like a billion hamburgers, right? Um, but not not beyond belief. I don't know how many um, how many Apple TV sets do you think Sony iPhones? has sold? A billion in history. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I don't know. You I know, I think I think we might be surprised by the size of one billion. Well, there's how many people are on the planet right now? Four or five billion, something like that. Uh, seven or eight. Seven or eight billion is that much? So, yeah. mm-hmm. and how many people have ever lived on the planet? Twelve oh, billion. How many de- developers has Facebook hired in the last year? <laughs> A billion. <laughs> I, I think the number of companies, and I, you know, I guess we have to put sort of some parameters on this to sort of put it in the same league is what Apple has accomplished. But I, I don't think they're in a big crowd of companies. So I guess, way. Mark, there was more to say about this than you thought. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it turned yeah. into homework for the yeah. listeners. Like, yeah. If, yeah. if we put a price floor and say of, of products that generally cost at least, you know, yeah. $300 US, um, what products out there that have sold that many? So let us know on, uh, on Twitter, hashtag AskMTJC. If somebody comes up with something interesting, uh, we might read it on the show. Because I seem to remember. Oh, I, fa- I think I found it. Hang on a second here. I'm just going to okay, read this. So, yeah, go ahead. We'll go go ahead. We'll come back to so, you. So, actually, what, one second. I just did a quick uh, Google search, and Samsung sold. Well, wait a minute, maybe it's not just Samsung, but but uh, the article is about Samsung. They're saying 141 million TVs sold in 2015. Hmm. So multiply that by 10, and that's 1.4 billion. billion. So mm. there you go. Okay, so here's something that I've found. This is um, from a Simcoe, Horace Dedu's site. And this is something that he was tracking for some time. It's called The Race to a Billion. In this series of articles, of which I think I've given you the latest one, he charts the rise of platforms and how they ramp up over time as they go to a billion whatevers, you know, uh, either units sold or users, I guess. And it seems that very few get to a billion. Facebook did it. Uh, Facebook has over a billion users now, and it took them 30, about 36 quarters uh, from launch to do it. Um, iPod never got there, but came pretty close. <laughs> and so, there's a whole okay. bunch of other things. But things my like argument to Windows this Mobile. Is, is how many Facebook accounts does a user get in their lifetime? Typically, uh, probably idea. one, maybe two plus plus some percentage. How many TVs yeah. does a person buy in their lifetime? Four, five, maybe, maybe more than that. More four or five. Yeah, I mean, so so it's a different scale here. Yeah, we have, we buy a phone every year though. Certainly, because we're crazy. Well, but well, most people do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I it's interesting to put some numbers in perspective there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still think it's pretty rare. Um, and what's the difference between a platform adoption rate or ramp and and a uh, number of units sold ramp? That's the number you need to look at here, right? So yeah. 1 billion users of iOS or Android doesn't necessarily mean 1 billion units sold. It's, it's probably a lot more than 1 billion units sold. At that point. True. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it includes a number of different contexts right. in this chart. Right. Yeah, for sure. 
still, it is interesting. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and especially when you compare it to Android, right? Like, I think this is where the comparison becomes somewhat meaningful. Is look is you compare it to Android, which has you know, as we know, well more maybe double the number of users as iOS. I think I saw an article earlier this week that said as much. And um, that's not one company, though, right? That's a whole lot of companies making those, you know, say, 2 billion Android phones. No single company um, has made as many phones, I don't think, as Apple. That's probably true. Well, I don't know. Smartphones, for sure, but... Yeah, I, mean, I do but, mean uh, smartphones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Nokia certainly had a huge number of those flip phones and and uh, yeah, and you see Blackberries phones. on this list too, right? right that they, right. you know, at their height, that they were, they didn't get to a billion, but they got to quite a large. Number. Well, they just rolled out a new phone yesterday, so or today, so they, they're ready. They're poised. They're poised. Nobody cares, Tim. But I, I wanted to say to say Nobody that too, just a side note on this this uh, one billion phone sale. Half of the phones <laughs> sold last year. Or half of that billion were sold in the last two years. Yeah, that's that's existent- exponential yeah. growth for you, right? Wait. Yeah. How does that work if we had flat to negative growth? That means that uh, at, at least as many phones were sold in the years before, a couple of years before. I'm not, hang uh, hang, hang on. Hang on well, also, remember, 75% of statistics are all made up, right? Yeah. <laughs> 60% of the time, they're 100% accurate. 60%, accurate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, the phone. There you go. Okay. Oh, sorry. I realized it's, uh, it's Twitter, Mark. That's all right. I can still click on the link. Wow. I hate this guy. His Twitter handle is Tim. Yeah. yeah. You got to take him out. <laughs> Hack him Matt Honan style just to get yeah. his Twitter account. <laughs> I don't know what that means. No. You don't remember Matt Honan, who got his uh, his Twitter account, his Apple ID, oh, the everything reporter, hacked. The, the his whole journalist. life. He was, worked for Wired. Oh, he's got a 3D yeah. picture here. I'm going to put my 3D glasses on and look at it. You know, the chart doesn't really match that number. If you look at 2014, dun, dun, dun. well, maybe he's assuming that, uh, okay, maybe he's not counting 2016 as a full year. Then it's possible. But but if you just look at the at the difference between the height of the 2016 bar which is let's say it's 950 it's true yeah roughly and then the top of the 2014 is very close to 600 yeah. that's about 350 between the two 15 and 2015 2016 in other words don't mess with mark rubin yeah <laughs> <laughs> your crappy graphics this not is the scale the, the physicist in me is coming out physicists are trained to pick apart things on the uh laws right. but anyway all right. I, I think on. we've beaten this one to death. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. To death. Yes, yes. Um, do, well, so Jaime's not been on the show for a couple of weeks, so he's got a couple of uh, things he's dragged along here. But uh, but Mark put in a, a follow-up on two-factor authentication, I think. Yeah, this. I'm not sure this was a follow-up, but this is just an article that I stumbled upon today that was pretty surprising and interesting. Uh, the National Institute of Standards, NIST, uh, has come out with a, uh, I don't know if it's a report or a, or a, 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 stand, a new standard on, on two-factor authentication saying that they don't believe that using SMS as a second form of authentication is, is really secure. And so they're saying that you can't do that anymore, essentially. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't pass laws. They just make strong recommendations. But but pretty much if they make the recommendation, everyone's going to follow suit soon enough. So so all of these apps or even Apple that right now are using 
an SMS to send you a, a code to type in to to give your second factor uh, authentication, they're going to have to find some other system. Now, this, That's pretty huge. This really sucks. It's pretty huge, yeah, actually. We're pretty much pretty much everyone does that right now. Who, anyone who needs authentication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do they say like? Do they say why? Like I'm just browsing. Yeah, they did now. say why. The the reason is that their claim is that that uh, phone numbers are actually network specific, and if you ha- if you're using a VoIP account, uh, they can't be sure that the phone number that you're actually using and and receiving SMSs to is actually a valid number or, or will remain a valid number because that that they're, they're somewhat flexible apparently. Well, in the case of Aaron's uh, two-factor uh, last week, it was sent using iMessage, and but iMessage is a different kind of thing than than uh, SMS. Yes, it is. And iMessage right? is yes, it is different. That's right. Yes, yeah. but uh, it's worth noting, like the the reason it kind of came up last week is I was getting the iMessage with the the um, the code, but only to one of my computers, which is very peculiar. Right. <laughs> um, so, and this has been going on for the week since. Um, I could, I could, oh man, I had a hell of a story uh, to tell about uh, my Macs, but uh, I'll save it for later. Suffice to say, I found myself having to enter this code uh, several times uh, in the last 48 hours. And those, um, those codes were not going to all the places it should have gone. And in each case, I had to fall back on the SMS method because it was the only way I could reliably right, get yeah, yeah. the code to come to my phone. Which is the thing that, you know, I always have on me, right? So uh, this would be a huge pain because I don't see any other method being actually reliable. <laughs> like, certainly not iMessage, because it is not working for me. And certainly iMessage doesn't work on anything but an iPhone, obviously. Well, obviously, right. yeah. 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 Well, it works on the, on the Macs, too, but... Right, right, right. Well, right, but... Yeah, yeah. But if, if, you're, if you're making some kind of product that have an iphone version and an android version right you yes, don't want to yeah. have two separate ways of doing authentication it's yeah it, so what does what does this new standard from nist mean that, that that eventually people or companies will have to find another way to to do two-factor authentication mechanism? right yeah. that's right yeah yeah hmm. so so in case anyone isn't clear on what we're talking about this is when you run a new app and you say you type in your email or whatever you register with the app and then before you can actually do anything they text you a code and you type that code into the app and essentially what you're doing there is authenticating that the phone that you're actually using uh, is the one that you say it is because you wouldn't be able to get that text message unless you're actually on that phone. I mean it's not 100% true but but close enough for most cases. So without that it's it's kind of hard to envision another way of of doing that uh, that extra level of security. Well, this is why they recommend, or they don't recommend it. They say the alternative is to use a dedicated two FA app like Google Authenticator right. or RSA Secure ID or a dongle. <laughs> or a dongle. I thought the days right. of dongles were long gone, but apparently, yeah. Not. Oh, the dongles are here again. Yep. yep. I would highly recommend people use <laughs> Google Authenticator or Authy, or I think. Microsoft has one as well. Uh, if you can, like it's it's way better. So I I chuckled a little bit uh, because I felt Aaron's pain before setting up the two FA, where the sending of the message was so slow that I get the oh 
well, okay, hit the resend button because I clearly I didn't get it. Maybe something was wrong. And that causes this error of comedy because it invalidates the other code, which of course is the code that I finally saw. But instead, what I have to do is wait for the next code, but I didn't know because it just tells you, oh, sorry, that's not valid. And I was very terribly confused, and it took maybe 20 minutes before I was able to sort it out. And it was very hurt. So is the Authy app a, a choice in these cases? Like, I have Authy for my Bitcoin stuff, but... Yeah, and it, it, it's, it uses, like, a like you connect that particular um, instance of the app, and that is, like, a big uh, usability problem. Um, and, like, if you drop your phone in the ocean, you're going to have some, some trouble, like, setting some stuff up again, uh, you know, <laughs> using backup codes. Right, yeah, yeah. But it, it's really nice because you're not sitting there waiting for a message to come in, which may or may not come in depending on network availability, right? Like, sometimes SMS is slow. Sometimes iMessage is slow. Yeah. Uh, or completely unusable, whereas in this case, you just sort of open up the app and then it says, okay, here's an account. Like, um, you know, if I'm opening up a, an, or installing Dropbox on a new device... Right, I put in my username, put in my password um, on, let's say, like a new MacBook Pro or something, and then it's going to say, "Okay, great, what's that authentication code?" And you can see a little countdown timer that you know, it's like once a minute, I think, a new code is twenty generated. seconds. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. There you go. It's, it's some very short time interval, um, and you just say, "Oh, okay, here is one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, great. Oh, sorry, uh, ran out of time. Okay, well now it's nine eight seven nine two one. You know that sort of thing. Works great." It's less convenient than just like typing in a quick four code. It's not as accessible as like, oops, I dropped this in the ocean. Let me go get a, a new phone for Verizon and have them update my, you know, or migrate my SIM to this new card or something. But it's now, presumably more secure based on what they just said here. And, and, yeah. and in my instance, it's faster than waiting. Now, the app developer has to support that, right? Is that true? Yes, I believe yeah. that's the case. There's some, there's some sort of um, an SDK of some infrastructure. Sort of, yeah. Do you know if there's any cost involved for the developer? I honestly, I honestly don't know. Yeah, that, I don't know be an interesting what, one. what's involved in it. All right, I'll look into that and do a follow up next week. How about that? Wait. <laughs> Tell you one thing: like two-factor authentication is too hard. Like this is not something that normal people can do. Yeah, See, and, I, I've I never, not... I've never had an issue with it. It's always worked great for me. Uh, wow. So I, yeah, I feel your pain. But... Well, you are Doctor Mark. Rudy. Yeah, I know, but but I wasn't wearing my doctor hat. I was wearing my iPhone user hat. Mark, you cannot <laughs> remove your doctor hat. It's with you everywhere. I, I, I um, don't know. So, I mean, it's it, it's you know, a code comes up, you type it in, you're done. I, I don't know. Yeah, but, so, but so when the code you, doesn't come you, up, what do you use um, uh, two factor authentication for, Mark? Nothing in any of my apps, although you know. No, I, I mean like what like you used it. You, like I use it for Google, and you you said you mentioned Twitter last week. Yeah, yeah, else? Google, Twitter, just you know, I, I don't even know to be honest. It's just it pop, every once in a while it pops up on an app that I'm using, and I just type it in and forget about it, and done. Well, I'm talking about the setup, right? Like getting started with it. Yeah, it, it is, is rocket uh, scientist. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is a little you know pointy headed. It's it's tough to do. You know, and it's uh, it's not something that uh, your average user is even going to understand. So I, I think that there's got to be something different. Like I understand the math behind this or the logic behind it, but I don't think it's um, it's easy enough for the layperson to use. Come up with a good solution, and uh, yeah, I'll be and, a millionaire. And you can retire. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. Yep. Pretty much. All right. I have thought about it. <laughs> uh, anything else you guys want to talk about here? There's a lot of picks. Is there a lot of picks? 
Are there? Jaime's, yes. Jaime's been busy, I guess, right? Yeah, Jaime's got his dump truck full of picks. Well, my my, my, my picks are all related, so oh, it's, it's, yeah. a lot of, it's a fair amount of links. Of many picks one to the other. Okay, all right. All right, so let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks. And Aaron, do you have a pick? I do. So, I don't, I don't know how much story to put in front of this, but uh, to make a long story short, I had to wipe both of my Macs and reinstall everything um, in the last 48 hours. And uh, it's it's not a fun thing to do, but on the other hand, it is uh, a great opportunity to reassess a lot of your stuff, um, which I very happily did uh, during this time bringing back data that i know i know i need and if if um if i need other stuff later on i can kind of bring it in um but meanwhile i've got this you know nice pristine install on both of my macs right now and they are flying and i love it but one of the things i had to deal with was um replacing fantastical which i was gonna say yeah. yeah fantastical has been out for some years and i was a huge fan of it from its very earliest days uh, because it was a very simple menu bar resident calendar that had natural language sort of uh, event creation. You just type type in your event, and it, it automatically parses it and separates out the title from the date and the time. And uh, it's super handy. But uh, they came out with version 2, and the scope of the app exploded. It became not just a menu bar, but a full-on application that replaces calendar on your Mac. Um and I don't want that. I don't need that. And so I kept Fantastical 1. Um, but now that I had to sort of reinstall it, I went to the Fantastical website. And I know that you can download it somewhere. But I spent like 10 minutes looking and I could not find it. And so I said, you know what? They haven't updated it. And they're never going to update it again, of course. Uh, this would be a good time to find something to replace it. What I have found is, and, and this is only after a very brief search, but it fits the bill right away, is a thing called ItzyCal. And this is a free app uh, made by Mowgli. Isn't that the um, gremlin? The from the, Grem- no, it's the character from the Jungle Book. The ju- oh, oh, right, right, right. Yes, yeah. Was uh, uh, Mogwai. That's what I'm thinking of, isn't it? Yeah, the Mogwai is from, uh, like, Gizmo from uh, the movie Gremlins. Exactly. Okay, that's what I was thinking, Mowgli. Um, so I don't know if there's any credit uh, for this, but it appears to be an open source application because it's available on GitHub. And I'm trying to give credit to the poor guy that made the thing, but he doesn't seem willing to do it. SF Sam. You know, you know SF Sam. Sanjay. That's all we know about this guy is that he's a guy in San Francisco that made Itzy Cal. Um, and you can build it yourself and make changes to it if you like, I suppose. Fork it. But in the meantime, it's this nice, very simple app that lives in your menu bar, shows your calendar, plugs into your calendar database, and uh, just just does what, you're, what you want it to do. No muss, no fuss. So if you're looking for something like this and uh, are scared off by the size and scope of Fantastical 2 for Mac, uh, It's a Cal is a pretty smart-looking replacement. So, so what was the backstory in Fantastical not updating, or they're oh, just not? No, 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 no. Um, Fantastical just moved ahead with version two. Oh, I see. Right, okay, and so right. of course they're not going to develop version one anymore. Right? Oh, you were going to go. You just want to go back to the to the legacy version of it, or whatever. Yeah, well, you know, and it it has a very particular look and feel, right? Like it's it's okay. got that sort of iOS six, if you want to call it that look to it aqua look uh no not aqua like uh you know um like skeuomorphic look? skeuomorphic thank you oh, okay. yes right. uh right. which uh doesn't seem to match very well with uh, modern mac so 
Um, oh, I, I was definitely looking for something with uh, a better, more modern look and feel. And, or material yeah, design yeah. yeah, Suffice to say, it's a cow does not have all the features of Fantastic Hal. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, it's only been like eight hours. So, you know, I'll, I'll know more later. Uh, so far, though, it's uh, it's kind of what I'm after. I, I need something in my menu bar that I can look at a calendar. This This does that. It hasn't burned you down yet. It hasn't killed me. Right. I will say that's sort of a weird thing that the um, the platform owners don't really do really well. And I'm, I'm sure there must be really good reasons why they don't. But I remember way back in the days of uh, using Windows PCs, let's say like my Compact Presario that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to see a day in calendar, you went into the date and time preferences and looked at the calendar that you could accidentally change the date and time in. And all I really wanted to see was like a darn calendar, right? Like, right. The same sort of thing I get for like ninety nine cents at like the corner drugstore is what I wanted, <laughs> but in a digital format, so I didn't have to do that. Yeah, I was just thinking, do we have a, cal- a calculator on the iPad yet? No. Yeah. Does your yeah, iPad 42. Pro not have one? That doesn't sound very pro to me. No, how, I have, how, I have, how will you calculate uh, all your? I have uh, pCalc on mine. There's also that Two Life app that has a calendar in it, doesn't it, Tim? No calculator. Oh, calculator. Oh, sorry. That's true. Like yeah, I was giving you a little plug there, and you jumped on my throat. <laughs> <laughs> jumped on his throat. I'm thinking, like, where's the calculator in... Uh, Mud used to teach people to write, make calculators in, in our, the iOS class he used to teach, but that was back in the day. Yeah, that'd be a neat little project. Yeah. 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 Well, it teaches them about, you know, yeah, stuff, math and stuff, and not to divide by zero and crash your app. You know, it's a good exercise. All right, uh, Mr. Lopez, how about you? I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> it's, I, I right. swear, it's all really like the same pick, but with like ecosystem related bits. All right, it. hit us. Uh, so my pick of the week is uh, Flask Ask, which is done by John Wheeler. And it is a, I'm probably going to use the wrong term here. I'm going to call it a plugin or a component for Flask that lets you build um, skills for the Amazon Echo, or more specifically, the Alexa service that's available for it. So let's let's decompress uh, you know, all of this stuff. So, so Flask is a micro web service, or sorry, a micro web framework for Python. So if you're familiar with doing like, you know, Django or Flask itself, or Pyramid, uh, think of it being like, what is it like, Sinatra? You know, there's all sorts of ones that are in different ecosystems. Python has its own, of course. Uh, Flask is one that's pretty popular. It's fairly lightweight. The Alexa Skills Kit, or ASK, as the uh, acronym goes, is what you, one of the ways that you can interact with the Amazon Echo um, or with the backend service that, that ties everything together. And so this, what this does is help you deal with like the boilerplate that goes along with that, right? So the, the Echo or the Alexa Skill Service will give you a whole bunch of uh, JSON and, and you can handle that any way you please, right? You can use, you know, Node.js. Uh, you can use you know, Swift if you wanted to, like if you want to go with like perfectly soft solution or, or whatever the case might be. Um, but there's still a whole bunch of uh, like back and forth, you know, JSON envelope type work that needs to be done and, and transforming things from the, um, the intents, right? So we, we've seen that, that series, API has an intense system that says, okay, here's like the noun, here's the verb, here's some, you know, other options that go with it. It's very similar like that on the, um, the Alexa side. And, and this helps you with that. And, and here I've got a couple of links, one for um, the uh, Alexa tutorial.com slash flask ask, which is where John Wheeler has put together a real simple, like five minute tutorial video. You can 
watch it and follow along rather easily and do something rather great and simple. There's uh, content that's related to that. It's almost exactly the same bit, but it's in full written form that he's written a um, developer.amazon.com like official community post for. So Amazon has, has looked at this and said, hey, that's great. And uh, if you're timely with this episode uh, in listening, there is um, an event that's on Eventbrite that's coming up in uh, early August, where it's going to be a live stream on YouTube that John Wood is going to be doing and, and doing some you know, explanation on how you can use Flask Ask for developing Alexa skills. And uh, my other sort of shadow pick in there is Ngrok, which is a tool that can help you do development you know, on, on your local machine because it creates a uh, secure tunnel to your local host. So the, the Alexa service requires you to use SSL all the way through, right? There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But if you're like a lot of devs, you're like, you really don't want to have to like push to some production box or, or some remote box. Like you, you could be using something like uh, AWS Lambda, or you could be using you know any of the other AWS uh, Amazon Web Services services like uh, EC2 or whatnot. Uh, whatever the case may be, it's kind of painful to make like a one-liner typo change and then have to wait, you know, several seconds just to see something get refreshed, loaded. And then try again, right? You want to do it like quick, live, and especially with a, a dynamic framework like Python, you can sort of do that super quickly locally. And Ngrok will will create that tunnel, right? So it gives you a um, an SSL enabled URL that you can plug into the console, uh, the online you know, web console for the Alexa skill service, and say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to make up one here. My the secure address is I'm his account dot you know local." you know, colon, whack, you know, whack, whack, whatever the URL is. And that will be connected to from my own local host. And, and John Wheeler shows this as an example where he's, you know, he makes the initial cut at the skill, uh, which is running, um, running the backend code on his laptop and connected to uh, ultimately through the web, through his uh, Amazon Echo. And he changes it live and then just, you know, runs things again and it's super fast. So you didn't have to like, oh my gosh, you have to wait till everything uploads and changes. And no, 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 you can just change code locally and go have at it. So there you go. So that's sort of a VPN for the rest of us sort of thing. It, idea? It, it's sort of VPN-ish in, in concept. Um, More like a proxy, um, isn't it? You think? Maybe yes and no. I'm not, I'm not entirely certain like where it fits in the, the terminology on this one. I think it basically it's, it allows you to create a domain with SSL, right? That forwards yeah. to your IP address, your local host IP address. Right, right. So are you sitting at home when you're using this and then going out to the world? Or can you be sitting outside and going and hitting your your Mac at home or something like that? Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I, I think you could use it for that as well, right? The only reason it came to my attention, because I hadn't heard of it before, was because of this uh, tutorial, right, as a way to get around this. Uh, an alternative that I've I've seen... So the, one of the, the reason I missed uh, the previous episode is I was here in an event in Seattle where it was a um, an event at a um, co-working location called WeWork. You've probably heard about it. I think they're, I don't know if they're international, but they're certainly national. It's a, a co-working space company. And they were hosting an event that was co-hosted by the evangelists from Amazon for the Echo, as well as the, uh, I'm going to mess this up. I didn't have this in my notes, my, like the New York digital academy something or other uh, I'll, I'll try to find it and we'll put it in the show notes um, and they were showing how they um 
the academy folks were showing how they were able to teach students to create like you know their own uh, Amazon skill, Alexa skill. And in that case, they had actually come up with an interesting solution where they were using Amazon Lambda to like proxy things through. And I, I didn't get a chance to ask them about the specific details of how that worked and what the configuration difference is for Lambda. But uh, Lambda is that serverless um, service that, uh, you know, quote unquote serverless service that, that Amazon has where uh, an instance, you know, of the server's code lives for milliseconds, right? So unlike EC2 that you, you know, you spin up an image and it's running your code and sitting there kind of indefinitely until you spin it down, this spins up and down uh, on a per request basis. So in any case, they use that to, to proxy things. So I'll, I'll try to find some information about that. I don't think they've sent out the event notes for that yet. So I'll, I'll try to follow up for that in a future episode. And so seeing as we can't evaluate this Alexa product, as Aaron would say, because um, we don't have them here. Because Amazon Canada. hates Canada. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do, uh, so what are you coding? Are you, are you coding uh, something in your own device or are you coding something out in the service, like out in, out in uh, Amazon land? So you can host the brains of your, um, your Alexa scale anywhere you please. Uh, Amazon, of course, makes this really easy to do on AWS, uh, and it integrates quite nicely with that. But as shown here, I mean, you could be hosting it on your your own machine. That uh, you could be your own physical box sitting, you know, underneath your desk. It could be hosted on Azure. It could be on uh, Google's uh, cloud compute. It, it really doesn't matter. What you have to do is is set up the whole connection for everything. So it's it's very similar to setting up, let's say, like. Uh, like the push notification certificates for, for iOS, right? Let's say you're using like Urban Airship or something. You know how you have to go into your that developer portal on both ends, you know, Apple's developer portal, and then you go into you know, your push notification provider system and you set up the certificates there and get everything connected through. It's very similar to that respect. So oh, let's say I made my own skill, like, you know, you know the MTJZ skill that gives you like a random funny quote of the day from, you know, past episodes that we've had. Uh, we could code that up in anything we want. We, we could use Python and take advantage of Flask Ask here. We could do it with um, you know, server-side Swift, maybe something like uh, Kitura or you know, Perfectly Soft uh, or, or anything. I mean, just anything that can be you know, you know, web accessible and, and handle JSON is about the only requirements you would need. Right. Okay. And I did find the, I'll put this link here uh, for the show notes. It's the New York Code and Design Academy, which is... Uh, in New York, and it looks like they're going to open up in Seattle and a few other places relatively soon. I mean, since you're here already, um, and this has been in the notes for a while, can you just quickly tell us what Dropbox Lepton is? Yeah, um, wow, it has actually been a while since I, I thought about this one. So uh, Lepton um, is an image compression algorithm for JPEGs, and it's uh, a streaming algorithm, and it saves you, uh, I think they claim here, like 22 to 25% um, lossless um, savings for your JPEGs. And it, it's something that they're using because, you know, of course, Dropbox deals with a, a ton of images. Uh, that's a, you know, that sort of media bit is, is huge for their sort of storage business. And they wanted something that was not only going to save uh, for time and, and, you know, 
disk space sort of thing, but in network transfer space. But they also wanted something that was streaming, so you didn't have to have the entire file before you started decompressing things. So they have uh, developed their own algorithm here and open sourced it on uh, GitHub. And it's kind of a, a cool little blog post they have here where they show like how this prediction algorithm works and 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 the math behind it. Yes, it is a cosine transform, but it. Which one is it? There's many of those. They called out the discrete cosine transform, or DCT. They have a link to the Wikipedia article for that, for people who know more than I do about this to to talk about. Uh, But the kicker is that they describe this as being a, um, for the prediction, a middle-out algorithm for compression. (laughs) And they note the the Silicon Valley reference right down at the bottom. So I thought that was really cool. It's a nice little article. It doesn't take too long to read. GitHub under Dropbox's account, and it is a what Apache license. All right, my my pick is really quick. Um, uh, you probably guys have heard of Prisma. Have you heard of the Prisma app? It's a photo photo um, manipulation filtering app. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I'm not sure how it works, but um, you know, I do a lot of uh, Photoshopy kind of effects on images and tweaking and stuff like that. And um, some it can tell you to do these things in Photoshop would take a, a little bit of effort. Um, so it's kind of amazing how they've got these uh, different filters. You can try, take a picture, and you want to, you know, make it look arty. Um, in fact, our hundredth episode, I used Prisma to do the um, to do the image there. Yeah, it's just kind of cool. I think it's neat. It was, I think, it kind of hit the Twitters by storm about two weeks ago, and you see occasionally some shots of it. Like, yeah, a lot of people have been posting them. They're very um, kind of painterly looking, I guess. Yeah. Natural looking, yeah. I guess, is the word. Um, naturalistic yes yeah i mean they're 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 based on different styles the uh there's one called mondrian which is um a, a school from the um late you know 30s and 40s but um it ends up looking more cubist which is more 20 1920s kind of art style um and they have different names you know uh there's i, I noticed there's a few that one that seems to be quite popular people use that one a lot and that's sort of that orangey uh red rust sort of color palette but yeah, you can do all kinds of different things, make it look like oil painting or watercolor. Um, yeah, like I said, I haven't really dug into how they're how they're doing it, but if I had done a, if I was thinking about doing a photo app, it might have been something similar to this. So it's kind of cool. That's why I like it. And that's why it's my pick. Cool. Hmm. So it's just a way of jazzing up your photos. Photos need jazzings. I guess Mark doesn't have a pick. Do huh? a pick. No pick for Mark. Pick. <gasps> he has a pick. I do, do a pick. pick. Oh. No, I'm not going to tell you. Not in notes. No. <laughs> so I was traveling a couple of weeks ago, and and a couple of days before the trip, I actually got an email from my airline saying to show up two hours early at the airport because they're expecting really really heavy TSA lines. Uh, so you know, security lines. So I, I didn't want to do that. So so I went and found found an app uh, called MyFlight. M I F L I G H T. Uh, by a company called MyEgo, actually, M-I-E-G-O. Uh, and what this app does is it's it's a crowdsourcing app that tells you what the lines are, the security lines at your airport are now, which is kind of a cool thing. You just type in your airport, and it tells you, and you, you know, your terminal, and, and sometimes even at, your, at the range of your gate, and it tells you how long the security line is. Uh, now, I can't vouch for how accurate it is because it turned out there weren't any security lines and I didn't have to be there early. Uh, but uh, but the concept nice. is really good, and I think it could save you if uh, if there ever was a really bad security situation. 
Uh, no, but what I like most about the app actually is it's got kind of a unique navigation style that I don't think I've, any, I've seen anything really like it before. Uh, it's it's really just one screen, but it's got a, a sort of a semi-transparent overlay over it with a bunch of you know, icons sort of in circles and lines kind of running off screens in all four directions. And if you tap on one of those, it slides the overlay over onto the main screen so you get some different content. And then there's a now there's an icon pointing back to where you came. You can type on that to go back to where you were. So it's sort of a two-dimensional grid of overlays that you're navigating around in, uh, all on top of, of a common background uh, to get to all your different content. So it's, it's kind of a cool, different take on navigation than pretty much anything I've seen before. So uh, it's a useful app you know, for, the, for the service it, it offers, but also just worth checking out because it's kind of cool looking. So um, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to Twitter at Aaron Vay. And Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would you look? Also on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. And Mark? Send me an email at markr at smapsoft.com. All right, and my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine. And that's it for this week, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. 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 You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. I'm definitely going to have to uh, use this because uh, if folks haven't seen it on the on the Twitters, um, I'm going to be traveling reasonably soon, uh, almost two right. months from now. I'm going to officially going to Indie Dev Stock over in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. That'd be great. I'll, I'll I'll definitely use this to make sure that, that I can make my four flight hosts from this show are going to be on at that conference. Four, right. four. Oh, Tammy, you and Jaime and Mark, are you going? Greg, Greg, okay. Yeah, I was very seriously considering that last week, but um, and then I got a jury summons for no way September sixteenth. Oh man! Yeah, I tweeted it. Eh? I, I I didn't see that. I had I had one of those a couple of years ago, and I was really worried about it. Like, because you know, somebody sort of said, "Oh, you just go tell them you're an independent business person." And oh they, God, they, no, no, no! You have to show up. And yeah, it's funny they show you this video, and and you know they get you all jazzed up to like you know okay yeah i'm gonna do my civic duty and i'm gonna be like you know the best juror ever and you know, <laughs> we're gonna put those bad guys away and then they say okay there's no uh, no trials today you can all go home and then see you in three years i hope that's what happened <laughs> <laughs> well you're like the you're you're but you're a major breadwinner in your family right the only. So, <laughs> well then yeah that's you know yeah but they literally don't care about that they they do not consider that at all
Really? Yeah, like the sheriff's office sent me a survey to fill out and uh, where I, I had to supply answers to like, what what's your job, your job title, and um, I can't remember what else, but I think that was about it. Um, you know, just basically, are you the right age? Have you ever been prosecuted for a criminal offense? That sort of thing. And, uh, and then that was about, I don't know, four or five months ago. So now this summons arrived and it says right on the top, um, say self-employed programmer. That's the, the job description I gave myself. Right. Yeah. Um, so they don't care. (laughs) Yeah. So like, I guess guess that's sort of, you're supposed to squirrel away some money for a rainy day kind of idea. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, every hour I'm sitting in that uh, courtroom or jury room waiting yeah. is is an hour I'm not making any money. Well, you can take an iPad with you. That's what I did. Yeah, I'll take all my computers with me. I'll see what happens. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I'm sure you can. Yeah. But like I said, you can you could get lucky and just have... Is it going to be in Whitby or in Toronto you have to go? Oshawa. Oshawa. Mm. The county seat. Hotbed of crime and villainy. Scum and villainy. Scum and, yeah, well, no, that's not inaccurate. <laughs> I'm well, sure there will be a trial. <laughs> if they let you out early, it is a 12-hour... Oh, Osh- I don't know where Oshawa is, but from Whitby is a 12-hour and 13-minute drive to Nashville. But going oh. through Detroit, apparently. Really? Sure. Yeah, Nashville's a lot closer. I did look at it last week after the show, and I was uh, I actually priced out the whole trip um, to help answer the question of could I do it or not. Um, and Nashville's a lot closer than I thought it was. Much more um, middle of the country than I thought. Yeah, it's, those, it's a lot uh, more yeah, close to you guys than it is to either having or me, for sure. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So where are you in this position of going to uh, any death stock, Mark? You know, I, I looked at it after we talked about it last week and said, hmm, maybe I could do that, and then promptly forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I saw something saying that there were no hotel rooms left or something like that. Uh, no, I actually got a room yesterday. I just looked for one oh, yesterday. Oh, there was some zombie uh, camp out thing you were talking about? Or something like that. Oh, yeah. No, no. I couldn't get a room on the 14th. Oh, oh, oh. oh. At, the, at that particular... Yeah, because the, the block is from the 15th to the 18th, right? Or 15th to the 17th, right? Because um, the conference is actually on the 16th and 17th, right? Now, I wanted to go a day early um, and check out uh, Nashville and maybe even, I don't know, depending on how far it is, drive over to Memphis, you know? So. All right. Look at the time. I guess... So, are you, you guys are going to do a show down there, I'm guessing. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. We'll 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 thaw you in. Like it'll be a Saturday, Friday or Saturday or something like that, right? So if we if we can arrange something, right? All right. Because it would be kind of cool to like because you, you see other podcasts, you do it like in a room with people watching, and you know, all all three of our fans could be there. Who knows? Who knows? That'd be crazy. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think if the, I think the Jesse Catterwalls are coming, Jesse Catterwall and his wife are coming, and they're they're definitely fans of ours. Yeah. Well, it's you know I hate to say this, Aaron, but um, looking at the numbers, the uh, Greg Heo takes over the show when you and I weren't there is actually turning out to be the, the most popular show. Seriously, in, term, in terms of downloads, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we wow. talked about uh, code. Yeah, <laughs> all about code. All about code. Yeah. But that one guy who's mowing his lawn in England, you know, he was a bit annoyed by that. Yeah. Everybody wants to know about NS predicates. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I heard about the other day? I got to check it out. Is is um, oh, NS scanner? What do you know about NS scanner, Mark? NS scanner is a class used to find things like uh, phone numbers and and locations inside of text. 
Yeah, you can give it a big chunk of text, yeah. right? And but uh, I haven't used one in a very long time, um, mm -hmm. mainly because I think they're because they're built into things like text views automatically, right. so you okay. kind of don't have to spin your own. I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Um, the way I learned about in a scanner was because um, Matt Thompson, Matt Triple T Thompson. His uh, Triple T label, the UI label drop-in replacement for whatever version of iOS at the time didn't support having that in like web views or in UI labels and stuff. That was the way you could have a, oh, I want to put this blob of text and, you know, it's a phone number, it's an address, whatever the case may be, it'll pick it up and give you that information, make it tappable. Right, right. Just on a side note here, I was sort of uh, helping out my uh, grandson. We, I lent him, I found a three-quarter three size um, Stratocaster knockoff, right? To for him to start learning. I got him an amp for his his birthday, and uh, so. But I also have I have a copy of Rocksmith. Have you ever heard of Rocksmith on the on PlayStation? Oh. Yeah, Rocksmith is. I've heard of Rock Band. I've heard of well, Rock, Guitar Rocksmith. Hero. Rocksmith is a is an app, a game basically. If you want to learn how to play guitar, right? Like you actually plug a physical guitar. And you have this, you know, eighty dollar cable. You plug into the PlayStation. Um, it has some kind of electronics in it, and um, you—it's it, very similar to Rock Band or those tap, you know, the tap, tap, tap uh, games where the where the music notes come towards you. Yeah. And so you can, and you can see the the five strings, and the string lights up, and you see the notes coming towards you. So, like one of the things I was looking at the other day was "Walk This Way," and rather than showing you how to play the actual riff, which takes a while to get it to. They show you, they they feed you like the major note, you know, every 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 bar, every half bar, whatever, and then and, and if you can manage to hit the note in time with the music, they'll start to add more complexity to it, right? So sometimes you'll be hitting the open string, and sometimes you'll be hitting notes, and then they they show you some chords and stuff like that. And so as you progress through the game, it starts off very simply, and then it gets harder and harder as you go. So they're using the game gamification to teach you how to learn the mechanics of playing guitar learning time and tempo as well right so it's interesting interesting game yeah and now that i'm looking at it this is a game by ubisoft yeah okay yeah. i remember i remember this coming out it looks like 2014 because it's all new 2014 edition well yeah we came um, out in 2013 on it was on the ps3 first right um and uh and now on the ps4 it's like a 15 dollars download it's pretty reasonable but the cable you still need the cable which is expensive, right? So also available on Mac, according to this webpage. Mac and PC as well. Yeah, yeah. So I know a couple of I was following a developer who I met at um, the first 360i dev who was trying to learn how to play guitar, and, and he started using uh, using this uh, that method, right? So, but you know, Mark, you know from a, from a music point of view, that's kind of a strange way to break it down, but because um, normally you learn a melody and then you build on that, right? And you learn a little bit of theory stuff like that, but uh, you know, but they teach you different things like muting and pull-offs and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, interesting, interesting app. Is it still around, or is it? Is it? Uh... Yeah, they just they just brought it out for PS4 and and for Xbox, right? So, but the latest, but 2014. 2014 is the latest version, and but I mean, it's 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 you know they have downloadable content, so they you know they right, right. other than the changing maybe the mechanism of the thing and maybe re rewriting the interface, they can keep feeding you. Uh, licensed material to play, right? So I think that's part of probably part of the. Uh, and does it have a 
it does have a like a MIDI input or something like that, so it gives you feedback on what you're playing. Is that right? Yeah, no, you can definitely hear yourself playing. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, you know, and you can you can they recommend running it back through headphones so that you don't disturb your mother, kind of thing. But right. uh, but yeah, you can. And uh, there there was with the first version, there was a bit of delay, so it was a bit of lag, which is really annoying, right? As you mm-hmm. as you can imagine, right? Yep. But uh, this latest version, on the, I guess the PS4 is that much faster that, that it can actually process it quickly, and uh, it's hardly noticeable in terms of a lag. Yeah, but it's it's interesting. So, by the way, do you have an iRig? I do. Do you ever use it? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with no. <laughs> yeah, so I I pulled mine out the other day and yeah. plugged it into my iPad and got the latest version of Amplitude and all yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah, change, yeah. Change the batteries and everything, and sure, and then put it away, right? No, play it well. Played it for five minutes, and the sound was so bad. I really couldn't do anything with it. Yeah, huh. have you ever gotten good sound out of it? I don't think I've ever gotten good. sound. Well, you know, it's reasonable. Like you know, um, it's kind of like a practice amp to me. I mean, I, I think I bought a, I think I, I can't remember if I bought a Hendrix package or whatever. They had it yeah. had it on sale at one point, so you can get a bunch of different filters and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, I pretty much I use it too much. I usually find I tune my guitar, play around for about five minutes or whatever, and then put it away and. I keep it in my um, I keep it in my guitar case. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I wonder if I, my hardware is bad, or or you know maybe even the electronics in my guitar. So is you have bad. you have a lightning lightning one lightning version, or do you have the old thirty two pin version? I have both actually. It came with both. Oh so really? Using, oh okay. Yeah. So because it's just a different cable, right? So so I uh, I plug into my thirty two my I sorry my lightning iPad. Yeah. I've got an iPad Air too, so it's not a it's not, yeah, it's a not speed an issue. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but no, it just sounds well. First, okay, first, first off, first of all, it was very unclear. I was using it with uh, with some headphones, and it just it, no sound would come through the headphones, no matter what. So, and and it wouldn't pick up the guitar. Actually, it, actually, it would come through the headphones, but it wouldn't pick up the guitar in the iRig. Yeah, I've so had, I've had it issues. Was, like that, yeah, yeah. So it was just using the the microphone of, of the iPad, which just sounded completely like death. Wow. So completely yeah. off. So I finally figured that out, swapped out, used a different pair of headphones, which was pretty bizarre, and and then I could recognize the iRig, but it still sounded like just like crap. I mean, it it was it was very low input and and uh, lots of clicks and pops and and you know the 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 effect of the effects, if you know what I mean, was yeah. very very low, you know, very minimal. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or if just. Yeah, I found it. I found it relatively. <laughs> I found it relatively unreliable. In fact, I'm looking at. I just yeah. opened it up on my Mac here, and I could have sworn I bought a. It's funny. The VU meter is moving as I talk, but um, <clears throat> I, I thought I had bought a um, a decent version of it. Right, it's like a package version, but yeah, for some reason I'm not getting it. I have to. I haven't tried it on my la- on my uh, desktop. I do have on my laptop rather. I do have the software for that too, the free version. For so, what I have, oh, there's a free amplitude for Mac? There is, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I have, uh, what do I have here? I have a thing called AudioBus. Have you tried yeah. AudioBus at all? I haven't tried it. I, I've heard of it, though. So, what AudioBus allows you to do, so you could have like a, uh, you could have like a, um, a sequencer. Right, or, or you can use GarageBand, right? And so you can use AudioBus. AudioBus is kind of like it's what it sounds like. You have a bunch of input devices, and you can send it. So you can go from one app in, a couple of apps in, and right. you can go off to some filtering apps, and you come back through it again. And then you right. go to an output like GarageBand or what have you, or just out to the speakers. And, right, uh, so, you, so you could use the effects of Amplitude 
or amplitude rather yeah to go into GarageBand to record or whatever yeah exactly yeah so so yeah, yeah or or like you know have a bunch of um sequencer apps and stuff like that so you can yep. you know like you like you do with a mini bus you basically plug a whole bunch of things into it and then have it come out somewhere right um you know so you can uh you can have like set up a sequence or something to start like a baseline or something play even if i think you can use GarageBand as a source and then go through audio bus and pile stuff on and then play play out right so yeah, input it's basically input effects and, and output right so it's I, I guess that they're they're playing on the idea that that you know if you're a, a guitarist you're going to have all these pedals right yeah and if it worked seamlessly i probably would buy more effects <laughs> yeah because it, it, it would be cool right yeah yeah but it doesn't work well enough to keep me interested long enough so eddie coming back to this guitar so so uh, I plugged it into the amp, and we put it's basically got the five position switch because it's, it's a Stratocaster knockoff, right? In position one, three, and five, there's just like a really discernible ground hum, right? And so I went online to sort of see, okay, what can you know? How do you defeat a ground hum? And you know, mm-hmm. talking to talk about you know, put grounding the pots and you know, ground and the shield, and you know, checking out all these different things. And so I took the guitar apart, and and everything's wired up properly, and it's it's shielded properly. And I went to I went to one post yesterday after after you know getting really frustrated and trying to find somebody else had asked the same question that I asked you know how do I kill the my my switch seems to be really have a bad ground hum and yeah. the answer was it's a strat right <laughs> <laughs> well because you know a humbucker pick a pickup you know that you have the two pickups that cancel any right hum, they cancel right? out the noise yeah. and apparently when you put your when you put the switch in two or four you're Two, you're mixing the bridge and the middle pickup, and uh, four, you're mixing the middle pickup and the and the neck pickup, right? Um, or vice versa. And they humbuck, right? So because they're, I, I think the the um, pickups are are opposite each other in terms of their poles, right? They they have the effect of becoming a humbucker. But I guess I guess that that 60 hertz ground hum is just part of the part of the joy of owning a Stratocaster. Hmm. I'd never heard it before though. Mind you, I'm usually yes. playing in a band with like lots of noise going on and stuff. But yeah, yeah. Huh. What kind of guitar do you have? I have a PRS. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that has humbuck- humbucking picker. It on. does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of what like the best of Fender and, and Gibson rolled into one guitar, right? Nice guitar. Yeah, I, I don't I don't play it enough. Hmm. But yeah, yeah how's our- that uh, Zappa guitar? Uh, it's good. It's in the box. It's pretty much. I, I used it maybe once or twice with the band, and then. Oh, that's all. Yeah, I put it back in the box. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, more or less a collector's thing, I guess. But uh, yeah, I have a, a Gibson um, ES three thirty nine that I use all the time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the it's like the three thirty five, but like a small. It's like a less Paul sized body. Oh yeah, actually that would be kind of cool. Yeah, but it's hollow. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. My my PRS is hollow too. Oh, but yeah. it's a it's a thick body. It's it's a, they call it an arch top as opposed to a hollow body, because uh, they 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 uh, have two different models. the The hollow body is about the same thickness as an ES three thirty five or whatever. Oh yeah. The arch top yeah. is actually significantly thicker, so it's oh, really it almost feels like a, like an acoustic. You know what it's probably like? It's probably like those Rickenbacker guitars. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 thick it's, and hollow. Yeah, it's very very yeah. Well, actually, to be honest with you, I think that the um, through the through the bridge is a solid yep. piece of wood. Mm, okay, and it's the wings on the side are are because um, that's actually how Les Paul invented that shape. Was just he had he had a basically a, a plank of wood 
was yeah. the guitar, and then he put the you know the shapes with the F hole on it on the sizes for uh, reverberation. But I see. Yeah. yeah, but the jazz guitars yeah. like the, the the but the the there are hollow body Gibsons that are built like violins, like they're they're actually hollow right. inside, and then right. um, so Gretsch and. Uh, uh, so, some Rickenbackers are actually like hollow, like they're actually like a like a body, like a like a violin. Yeah, a lot of jazz. Well, that's, that's what this one is. This one is is completely hollow. Yeah, so, yeah. It's hollow but thick, so it almost you can actually play it almost <laughs> like an acoustic. Yeah, it doesn't sound as good as a real acoustic, but. Well, in the case of Stratocasters and Telecasters, I made a Telecaster knockoff when I was in my twenties, but um, the. The the pick guard, you know that big pick guard that fits across the whole front of it. That the that supports all the um, the hardware, right? So all the pots are all screwed into it, and the the pickups are sprung off of them as well. <coughs> the body is just yeah. I think the idea behind Fender Fender's idea behind the body was you make it as solid as possible because you don't want it to vibrate at all, right? Because then you're just playing with the pure electronic, you know, uh, the string moving through the magnetic field, kind of generating the the signal, right? Whereas Gibson, because they always sort of had the hollower bodies and the, the softer woods like mahoganies and stuff, yep. that there was some natural reverberation in there, which is why, you know, they, they say Gibsons have longer sustain and blah, 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 right? So, But it's funny. It's sort of an Adam's Rib story. Like, the Fender has one more fret than a, than a Gibson. Mm. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and actually the NECA, the, 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 you know, because you know the distance between the, the bridge and the headstock, the nut, right? and, and yep is is a certain length right. gibsons are shorter than than fenders of the same size mm. like i think one's like i don't know let's say 32 inches the other one's like 31 inches or something mm. yeah so <clears throat> so the guitar i made was was a combination of the gibson neck but on a fender telecaster type body that i'm you know carved out of a bunch of pieces of wood i got together so how did it come out did it look good did it sound good? It looks okay, but I, I think I, I was a little nervous about making the neck, so I didn't go as thin as I probably should have. Yeah. So it's we got a more of a baseball bat type stock, which is you know um, or neck stock, but um, there is a there's a Fender neck you can get that's like a baseball bat, like like in other words, the whole back is round, not thin. So it's very similar to that. It sounds okay. I mean, you know, I, I, I think it's down the base. I haven't put any good strings on it in a thousand years. Max decided that the, it's the end of the podcast. He's playing with his toys. <laughs> you can probably hear him back here. Yeah.